Hello, everybody. Welcome to post election day coverage here. We're on indisputable. We're going to break down the news for you some craziness from election day and a bunch of other good stories. I'm Jessica Burbank filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. And I'm very lucky to be joined with Dina Sayeg Dahl, who is an attorney and a law and crime analyst. Dina, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to do this show with you. Yeah, me as well. Let's get into it. Let's get right into this. So, former communications director with Donald Trump, Alyssa Farah Griffin, has called her ex boss a loser. Let's watch this video. The fact is, this is not an Obama style shellacking by any means. This is not, you can't really call this a red wave, even <laughs> though we still have some outstanding votes. This is the time that the Republican Party needs to ask themselves. Are they going to continue to nominate poor can't poor quality candidates to appease Donald Trump? He's right now over on his truth social site celebrating the demise of Republicans who lost, criticizing Don Bolduck, a bad candidate. Maggie Hassan was a beatable candidate. That could have been a pickup for Republicans, but solely because of Donald Trump, he ended up being the nominee. He's celebrating O'Day, a moderate losing in Colorado. If you want the Republican Party to thrive, We've got to just finally speak out and say this man is a loser. He lost 2020. He's about to, you know, he's losing his seats that were winnable this time in time to look toward what the future might look like. All right. So a lot of harsh words for her former boss about the GOP's failures in the midterms. And she wasn't the only one. Also, former aide Sarah Matthews shared similar sentiments, stating Trump cost the GOP winnable seats. The former deputy White House press secretary told CNN, quote, I think last night was the biggest indicator that Donald Trump should not be the Republican nominee in 2024. He cost Republicans winnable seats by boosting poor quality candidates. Meanwhile, during a conversation with the newsroom from yesterday, Trump had to say this about midterm results. You've endorsed more than 330 candidates this election cycle. Tonight, win or lose, the results for Republicans, how much of that will be because of Donald Trump? Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all, okay? But it'll probably be just the opposite. When they win, I think they're gonna do very well. I'll probably be given very little credit, even though in many cases I told people to run. And they ran and they turned out to be very good candidates. You know, they've turned out to be very good candidates. But usually what would happen is when they do well, I won't be given any credit. And if they do badly, they will blame everything on me. So I'm prepared for anything. All right, if they win, it was all me. If they lose, I had nothing to do with it. And as she stated, Trump endorsed 330 GOP candidates. 39 of them went on to competitive contests in the midterms. And out of those 29 races in which Trump had endorsed candidates, his preferred politicians have so far won 10 races and lost nine, with 20 still undecided as of 10:15 a.m. Eastern time today. So numerous Republicans, including in Virginia, failed to flip Democratic districts. So in New Hampshire, incumbent Democrat Senator Maggie Hassan defeated Republican Don Bolduc. In Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro handily defeated Republican Doug Mastriano, while Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman defeated Republican Mehmet Oz. So Oz is going back to Jersey. 
Also major races that are still outstanding include Senate and gubernatorial races in Arizona and Nevada and the Georgia Senate race between Herschel Walker and Senator Raphael Warnock, which is expected to head to a runoff election. So not a great night for Republicans. They didn't get the red wave that they were talking about. I heard earlier today on the watch list, they called it a red splash. But here's what Trump had to say over on Truth Social this morning. So 174 wins and nine losses. A great evening and the fake news media together with their partner in crime, the Democrats are doing everything possible to play it down. Amazing job by some really fantastic candidates. Though CNN citing anonymous sources that were close to Trump reported that he is livid and was screaming at everyone. So he's blaming everyone including Melania for allegedly advising him to endorse Dr. Oz. So chaos over in the Trump camp. Uh, I wanna bring you in Dina, what are your thoughts on what Trump's up to during the midterms? I think you're absolutely right. This was definitely disappointing for the Republicans. Um, even if they pick up some seats, it's certainly not going to give them enough to have any kind of landslide power if they do end up taking control of Congress. And that's even still um, unsure at this point. Uh, Gosh, his quote, Trump's quote about how you know he should get in the credit if he loses. I just can't imagine somebody being so um, egotistical to say something like that, but he does. He says those kind of quiet things out loud. And the fact of the matter is, is he was able to not be labeled a loser because he said he never lost. Right, the election was stolen. Like to him, this is the worst thing that could be labeled. Really, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, that's part of like any race. Somebody wins and somebody loses, but for him, it's the worst thing. And I think that Republicans should kind of wake up to this and realize he's not as powerful as he seems. But there are so many people who are unwilling to stand up to him. Will this make enough of the difference? You know, I don't know. Like you know, you you know those clips. You know, they were saying that on CNN. They're not saying it on Fox, you know, and that's the audience that needs to be told that Trump is weakened, that he's not powerful enough, that they should look to DeSantis, because clearly DeSantis is like the heir to Trump's power. Um, so, you know, Democrats kind of already know this. Do the Republicans know this? And that's really the question. How much is Fox kind of allowing a crack of window in? That's what we should be looking for um, in these next few days and few weeks. Yeah, so well said. I want to hone in on something that I think is really important, which is it's so true that Trump's base and Trump supporters aren't hearing that behind the scenes he's livid and screaming and blaming other people and unhappy about the losses while he's posting on Truth Social that he's won. Same type of deal happened. I mean, we saw the other side of what was going on on January 6th, where he was in the White House saying, people can't know that I've lost. All of his followers, all that they hear, is that the election was stolen and Trump actually won. They don't get to hear the other side of the story. A lot of people are in media silos and that's very important because I'm sure that a lot of Trump's base were the people trying to intimidate voters going to the polls throughout this election. When people were mailing in ballots, dropping them off and on election day, which we'll get into in a little bit. Any last thoughts on this, Dina? 
You know, I just think that this shows, you know, the reason probably they didn't have this huge turnout is when your essential message is elections are not fair, votes are not properly counted. It's not exactly a get out the vote message. The more Trump says that to his base, the less likely his base will vote. And that's a good thing for Democrats. And I think at some point, who knows how long it is, maybe this was it. Republicans will wake up to it too. You can't expect people to vote if you're also telling them their vote isn't gonna count. Yeah, totally. It's a sad situation with the Trump camp, but it was a win for sanity as we saw a lot of Trump backed candidates losing. So let's get into some of the good stuff, shall we? Because the midterms were not all bad. Last night, we saw a lot of wins for progressive policies. Last night, we saw a lot of ballot measures pass with significant margins in some unexpected states. So let's get into those. In Arizona, Proposition 209 would reduce medical debt significantly one with 72% of the vote. Voters want to reduce medical debt. This is a predatory practice over in California. Proposition one, the state constitution would be amended to protect a person's reproductive freedom in their most intimate decisions, including the right to abortion and contraceptive. So that's proposition one, 65% of the vote winning in California. In proposition, or sorry, in Michigan. Proposition three also protects abortion rights. This was a state where this was such a contentious issue where the governor was going back and forth trying to block trigger bans from going into effect. It turned into a big legal fight, but 56.2% of voters would like a constitutional right to reproductive freedom over in Michigan. In Illinois, Constitutional Amendment 1, this is a really big one. This measure would amend the state constitution to guarantee workers the right to organize and bargain uh, bargain collectively. So protecting workers rights to organize is huge right now as we see right to work laws go into effect across the country and so much union busting rampant across the country. That passed with 58.7% of the vote. More wins for workers over in Nebraska. Nebraska voted to increase the minimum wage. They won a $15 minimum wage an hour that would go into effect in 2026 up from $9 an hour now. That one with 58.2% of the vote. Nevada also voted to increase the minimum wage as well and implement ranked choice voting. So Nevada question two election results on minimum wage regulation, 54% of the vote, $12 an hour by July 2024. Then. Interestingly enough, over in Colorado, our friends are always way ahead of us when it comes to the substances. So Proposition 122, the possession and use of certain psychedelic plants and fungi would be decriminalized for people 21 and older. And the state would create new regulations for the distribution and administration of these substances. That's at 51%. Over in Maryland, question four legalizes cannabis on the same topic of substances, that one with or 65.5% of the vote. In Missouri, marijuana was also legalized with 53.1% of the vote, a more conservative state. We also saw in Arkansas, you know, they, they voted against marijuana legalization, so it wasn't a big win everywhere. But in some very unlikely states, some huge wins for progressive policies. We talked a little bit about this last night, and Jank had some good words to say, so let's watch that video. 
Look, guys, yeah. the, the the ballot measures are showing you where the country actually is, okay? Because that's people beyond the uh, team red, team blue, uh, deceptive advertising. The Republicans saying they're in favor of the uh, fixing the economy while not actually proposing anything to fix the economy. You get beyond all that propaganda basically and you just say an issue. You wanna legalize marijuana, almost all the states say yes. Although Arkansas just said no, okay? So soon Arkansas will be the only state where you can't smoke weed. And Biden will still be like, should we nationalize? Should we legalize nationally? I don't know. I mean, there's some Republicans in Arkansas that says no. I, I no, probably not. Probably not. Let's leave it to the next president. Anyway, uh, and then minimum wage crushes everywhere, everywhere. We'll check in on that because there's Nevada as a minimum wage bill today, and then there's another state that has a uh, minimum wage ballot measure, uh, and now. Uh, you know, being able to negotiate collective bargaining, right? For power to the employees. If you turn on cable news, they're like, oh, that's probably gonna lose 90 to 10, right? I mean, who thinks the workers should have rights? No, no way. And obviously wins easily, right? So put them up as ballot measures, we win every almost every time. So my take is that if the, the policies themselves are popular, and these are policies that are theoretically a part of the Democratic Party platform. Why are Democrats losing? It's all about how they're running and their messaging and what they're choosing to focus on and how they're governing. Are they delivering on these you know, policies that they claim to support? So Dina, what are your thoughts on all of these big wins for ballot initiatives and what it means in the bigger picture? You know, ballot initiatives give voters a chance to basically have like direct involvement in government, right? Instead of electing somebody with the hope that they're gonna then pass a law that's gonna create change. I think that this, well certainly it empowers voters because they get to decide these this minimum wage. Like well, how much do we want the minimum wage, yes or no? And I know in California, you know, these kind of ballot initiatives are hugely popular. And I can see these becoming more popular in other states because as Congress, you know, with this very divided, even if you know one party gets in power, they have such a hard time getting anything done. I mean, Biden actually did pass quite a bit of laws in the past two years, but that's unusual, right? Usually not much gets done. And I think voters sense that. They are frustrated that they're electing people over and over and over and things aren't getting done. I feel like we should address the gun issue more on ballot initiatives. And I know there's a second amendment issue and but I think that we can still craft things because so many times voters want things like they want the minimum wage, they want to legalize marijuana, they want gun reasonable gun control. But the people they elect can't actually get it done for like political reasons. And I say, hey, let's get more of these ballot initiatives. Let's put this more into voters hands and like get it done. Just the one one vote pass or fail and it's done. You don't have to wait for months and months of negotiation. I'm all for it. 
Yeah, I think it's a big problem that sometimes, you know, pundits and mainstream media and all over the media say things that are disconnected from what we hear on the ground. But I really need to express how true everything Dina said is when you talk to people on the ground. So in Kentucky, there was another ballot initiative, Amendment 2, to amend the Constitution to take away a legal right to abortion. I went over to Kentucky and talked to people in Henderson, which was a place where this was contested. And the majority of people voted no, 54% were against it. And the amendment did not pass in Kentucky. So in a very conservative state like what we saw in Kansas with an abortion ballot initiative, they voted against essentially a legal ban to abortion. And when I talked to even the people who were pro-life, who planned on voting yes to the amendment, what they said to me was, they were happy that the people got to directly decide on this. But when I asked them, do you think we need more ballot measures? Because it sounds like a lot of people are concerned that many women choose to have abortions because of lack of resources, lack of maternity leave. They feel they can't financially provide for a baby. Do you think if we voted to have some of our public dollars go to make sure women are taken care of if they're pregnant? She said yes. I think we need a lot more ballot measures like this. And in fact, she agreed that we need more ballot measures on how we decide how to spend public money on public goods. And so this is huge, we should be doing this far more. I think ballot measures have the potential to save democracy in many different ways. And common sense gun laws, overwhelmingly popular. Common sense gun reform, most people in the country agree that we need basic background checks. So having that on a ballot measure would be huge if something like that were to pass. Yeah, Dina, do you I mean, I think thoughts? let's do it, right? <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. I mean, the fact <laughs> you know, we can come up with some some new ones, but you know, I think that fact is is um, people are frustrated that, like I said, they they vote for somebody and it just doesn't get done. And ballot measures, I mean, it does take a lot of money to advertise or have to be interest groups behind it in order to move it forward. But I think that there are a lot of really interested groups in things like gun control and they could move I think they can move issues forward. And then honestly, it helps with the Democrats or Republicans. Because when you put up a ballot measure that you know is maybe going to be supported by Democrats, you're more likely to get the Democrats to even come out to vote to begin with. You know, it's a, It becomes actually a motivating factor to get out the vote. And that could also be why they are more willing to kind of Put money behind those measures. You know, I've always thought, I wish when we file our taxes every year, we can have like a multiple choice thing saying, I want a percentage of my money to go to education, a percentage to go to, like you said, like helping women who maybe can't afford to have a child, and then whatever percentage they want to military, anything else. Like, I just think people would be so much more willing to pay their taxes and so much more willing to. Um, you know, participate in our government if we had a little bit more control over it. Because this, you know, an indirect representation, our Congress, I think a lot of us feel like our voices aren't getting heard. And, and that's why people kind of get disenfranchised with the system. Yeah. I'm so on board. We are solving the crisis of democracy here on Indisputable today. Because Jenk pointed out that in Oklahoma not too long ago, there was a ballot measure that said Oklahoma can never have Sharia law. So the type of voters that got riled up about this and turned out to vote on this ballot measure, it was all a ploy. 
to get you know their base of, of Christian evangelicals out to the polls and casting a ballot. I think you're right, most people see that they vote for politicians who promise many things. But once they get into office, they govern on behalf of corporations, they cut back public goods, they lead to more privatization. And they're not making good on any of their promises. So why cast a ballot for a politician if we say, hey, we've got these ballot measures, you can vote directly on increasing your wages. That's gonna bring more people out to the polls. And I like what you said about taxes. I think the solution to to a crumbling democracy, many people would say, right? There's a, a huge group of people in our country who don't even believe we have free and fair elections. Democracy is in peril in the United States. The solution to that could be giving more people or giving more opportunities to people to participate in democracy, increasing the amount of direct democracy we have in this country. Can you vote on policy measures? That's huge. Can you vote on where your taxes are going directly? That's huge as well. If people see something happen when they vote for something, hey, that's gonna get more people participating and more people out to the polls. Any last thoughts on this before we go to break? No, I mean, I just think that, yeah, the ballot measures, the way they're written too is simple. You know, and as a lawyer, I mean, that language is huge. And, you know, even if you wanted to know what the bill was, like the Florida bill, the, the don't say gay bill in Florida, as a lawyer, I was like, I want to read the language of this bill. I want to see exactly what was said. It was huge. The bill is huge. It's so hard to even you know, really as a layperson, even understand exactly what was passed. The ballot measures are like two sentences. And we all know exactly what we're voting for and exactly what the new law is. And that's really how all laws should be. So they become tangible and we can really understand what is governing us at any time. Yeah, and a lot of the language around legislation and policies intentionally made that way, intentionally made to be too thick for regular people to parse their eyes through. And so, yeah, to improve democracy, we've also got to make participating in the political process more accessible. All right, we've got more for you after this. We've got to go to break. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Indisputable. We've got more news for you. But first, remember, Unboss with Nina Turner has begun. You can tune in at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. And youtube.com slash unbosstyt is how you subscribe. Senator Nina Turner runs a great show. Also mentioning the watch list with J.R. Jackson. Add the watch list to your watch list. It's very simple, live weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, youtube.com slash watch list. And every Monday, I'm joining Senator Nina Turner and J.R. Jackson. That's why Mondays are the best day of the week. All right, now for the good stuff. Let's go to some viewer comments. So we have Ojam who says, that's real leadership right there, talking about Donald Trump and what he had to say about the wins and losses. Give me all the credit and none of the blame. We have a, a tall glass of shut up juice who says, more like a red drip. I think some penicillin will remedy that. Progressive policies winning a lot of folks. Surprised, we have infantry chefs saying only 800,000 people in two states voted in favor of minimum wage. How do people not come out and vote in favor of making more money? It boggles the mind. I think there's still a lot of people who are just a little bit disaffected with the political process. It's gonna take a little more to get people to turn out. 
And then we have travel nurse dragon saying Rocky Mountain High, talking about the psychedelics over in Colorado. And then I really like this point, Mickey see the silver haired dragon, $15 by 2026. In four more years, inflation will have wiped out that gain. Make it $25 as of January 1st, 2023, amen. And then Moon Dragon talking about Oregon who, who fully outlawed slavery, the voters there. Isn't it about time we amended the 13th amendment? Likewise, I agree we are gonna get into that in a bit. But first, the moment you've all been waiting for, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a in Sunday? You're I feel free. Reminds me of my days in the service industry, only in a restaurant I could leave. But these people were on a closed in plane. Thankfully, they had a solution. Let's watch what happens next. I asked for water for two hours. You're defending them? I asked for water for two hours. After two hours? Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. After two hours, I get water. The only time you should be applauding on the plane is when someone gets escorted off for being a Karen. So according to details from the TikTok post, this happened on a November 8th flight from Bangkok to Singapore. The male Karen not only ignored the seatbelt sign to harass and threaten the flight attendant, but he basically wasted everybody's time before security showed up to get him off of the plane. Imagine being on an international flight trying to go somewhere and someone being rude to the flight attendant asking for water and refusing to wear the seatbelt is what delays you. Absolutely insane. Dina, what are your thoughts on this, Karen? I mean, come on, we've all been like thirsty on a flight or frustrated. We couldn't get up because the seatbelt sign was on for like hours and hours. It's just like you have to get over yourself and that doesn't give you permission to be so mean because he was be, he was like making fun of him, he was mocking him. He didn't like that maybe that man's, I mean, maybe English was his first language, but he had an accent. He didn't, you know, he was clearly making fun of that. And I also threatened to assault him. So I'm not sure what happened there, but you can be arrested for that. I mean, he threatened to push him over. So, you know, we, come on, we're, we're all feeling frustration. You're not, um, you know, we don't get special privileges. Just sit down, get through it, get the water when you leave the plane. Yeah, I've been deathly hungover and severely dehydrated on flights before, but I would never talk to a service worker like that. I mean, these people are not 
paid enough to deal with this kind of behavior. And I don't understand. Actually, I think I do understand why people treat other workers like this. And it is because they've never been in a position where they've had to be a worker in the service industry. And I've heard people say it should be a requirement that everybody you know, does does a little bit of work in the service industry. So you understand what that's like and you treat people a little bit better because this is ridiculous. It's the kind of perspective that I am better than this other person and I'm entitled to treat them in that way. This is not someone who's treating another human being like they're equal, right? They see themselves as in the right in a position of power and things were corrected when they got escorted off of that plane as far as I'm concerned. And many people agree with that system of justice as they were applauding as he was escorted out. Absolutely, especially on an airplane where everyone is captive and that service worker you know, doesn't have a lot of protection, so they have to take that especially seriously on an airplane. Yeah, thankfully they were not in, in air when this went down. But we've got some more for you. It's a double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a in Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Sister wanting to get the snackies because I am terrified of getting out of my car. Like, I drive a BMW, not that it's like super high class, but I swear to you right now, <laughs> it's like, and I don't mean this to be like racist, but okay, well, it's gonna come out racist anyways, but there's just these six really scary looking guys, and I think they'd be scary whether they were white or black. But, um, I mean, I love black men. I have many relations with black men, but these black men look like they're gonna kill me. So I'm just hoping my sister makes it alive. I'm a terrible sister because I did not go in with her, but she's very conservative today and she's got mom jeans and a sweater on. So she looks very cute. I didn't mean that as a slam. So she's gonna get snackies because, well, you're gonna have to go watch her vlog because we're gonna film them. But she found these snackies that we used to have back in the Midwest at this gas station. So uh, not knock in the ghetto because they have really good snack food. So hopefully my sister makes it alive and we'll see what snacky she got. So this is a bit of a throwback clip of Trisha Paytas, who's a well-known influencer, is going viral right now on TikTok for singing songs. But Paytas is a self-confessed troll. Paytas has admitted that some of their more outlandish videos were posted just to get the clicks. They told Business Insider their support of Romney was one of those cases, as was a video where they claimed dogs don't have brains. On her YouTube channel, she faced accusations of yellow face along with a multitude of different controversies like her dating history, music, faith, and politics. Her notoriety would land her a stint on Celebrity Big Brother UK. So this is how she became famous, but it's dangerous rhetoric. I mean, what she's talking about there, these black men look dangerous. And thankfully my sister is wearing a more conservative outfit, mom jeans and a sweater as if she would be in danger if she wasn't. And to start the video off with this is going to come off out as racist. Uh, nothing good follows that sentence. And she even admits, you know what, it is gonna come off as racist, maybe then you are being racist. And if she's just doing it for clicks, it doesn't matter. The effect.
of the words are still exactly the same. And it's just a reminder that these ideas live rent free in people's brains, including Trisha Paytas. And she knows it's, she knows it's gonna get clicks because there are people out there who agree with her. And this kind of rhetoric being passed around emboldens those people. It's not enough when we have the rise of fascism in the United States to simply say, well, I'm not being racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to say when someone's being racist that that's not okay. Because if you don't say anything, you're basically sending the message that you're okay living in a society where racism is running rampant. And here she's perpetrating it. Dina, I want to bring you in here. What are your thoughts on Miss Trisha Paytas? Well, I think your commentary was right on. I mean, she purposely, obviously, was purposely being racist because she wanted the controversy. She wanted the clicks. I mean, come on, President, you know, Trump did this perfectly, right? He said the most racist things, the most outrageous things because he wanted the attention. And you know, this you cannot get around that in this day and age. Like anybody can be a content creator, anybody can post any video. And it's true that the more kind of outrageous it is, sometimes the more attention it gets. And so we as individual consumers, I mean, absolutely, as you said, we need to be anti-racist and speak out. But also as individual consumers, we get to not view that video. We get to not you know, retweet even if it, you know, we want to put our own spin on it. Like right now, our most powerful weapon as a content, as a consumer, is like silence and giving that no attention. It seems, you know, maybe like not enough, but it's actually quite a lot. If a collective large amount of people give silence to somebody who's purposely racist, you know, then they don't get the clicks they want. Yeah, I think that's. Key, right? We vote with our attention when we're consuming content. We're telling the algorithm by viewing a significant portion of a video just by watching. You're telling the algorithm, this is a good video and this is the kind of stuff I want to see more over. And that's a huge problem. So it can be tempting to watch the rest of this video when she starts it off with something so inflammatory. But it's much better to just swipe up and scroll to the next video so that you don't tell the algorithm this is the kind of content that will succeed in the algorithm for other viewers. And so it's gonna show it to more people if you watch the video. It's not enough to just not like and comment it. We're voting with our attention is essentially with these algorithms. Any last thoughts on this, Dina? You know, I, I think that's that's right, and 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 it's hard because sometimes it's like a train wreck, and you want to watch the train wreck, uh, but we can't. We can't watch the train wreck. Otherwise, we're just going to be. Uh, what are we going to be like? It's going to be full of just really racist comments and also just really mean comments. You know, we we can all kind of bring that temperature down by just like you said, just swiping up and and not even finishing it. Yeah, and it might seem contradictory, right? Like these two points, like you have to be anti-racist, but you also have to actively ignore this, right? You have to suppress the content by not giving it your attention. But then how do you send an anti-racist message? I think you could say something like Trisha Paytas is you know, using spreading racist sentiments to get more views online. So when you see her videos, don't watch them. You can tell five friends that. I promise you, Trisha Paytas's videos are coming up on everybody's TikTok feed, including mine. And if you tell them that, that's something that's powerful, right? That spreads a message. That's that's how you can be actively anti-racist and, and also ignore the content itself. All right, we've got to go to another break. Stick and stay, we'll see you soon.
We're back on Indisputable. It's Jessica Burbank and Dina Sayegdal. Now, I need to remind you that we have a new channel for you to watch. It is The Breakdown. If you're interested in progressive content that breaks down the issues impacting us and our society every day, which of course you are, that's why you're here. Check out The Breakdown on YouTube and Facebook. Subscribe to the channel on YouTube, TYT Breakdown. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash TYT Breakdown. There's a lot of really good creators over there, Conscious Lee and others. I know Conscious from TikTok, so very excited about that. Go watch those videos. Now, to your content, the member comments. Mail Karen, all right, let's see what you'll have to say about this, this man on this flight. Infantry Chef says, it's only a two hour flight from Bangkok to Singapore. I usually buy a bottle of water before the flight, so I don't have to wait. Thank you for letting us know that I would not expect that to be a two hour flight, but it actually makes sense, they're geographically close. Does Karen own the Simpsons makeup shotgun? I am Sock asks. I wish I watched enough of the Simpsons to understand that, but I'm sure there are people out there who appreciate this comment. All right, then we've got orange people are the worst. I think we can all get behind that. Yes, I think we can. Then we've got cooking with Miss D. Get water out of the toilet. Wow, that's that's the solution for the flight attendant who is <laughs> being demanded give this this man some water. And then humans can last two days without water. What a chump. Yeah, I mean, just ridiculous, especially knowing this is a two hour flight, just insane. Uh, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon said, I was hoping for a demonstration of Thai boxing. Yeah, I, that, you know, staffer exhibited courageous discipline and patience in in not doing something more, which they have to every single day. Uh, Someone says lurking from working and sending Dr. Receipts, Richie and the bullpen bovines, indisputable love, very nice. And then a bunch of people saying welcome to indisputable Dina. Amazing, we love our viewers, thank you for the comments. Now we're gonna get into some more stuff. So we just spent some time talking about the kind of casual racism exhibited by Karens on a day to day basis. But there's also a lot of systemic racism and sheriffs oftentimes are at the head of that. So in Los Angeles, after a tumultuous term marked by a lot of corruption and his combativeness with these controversies, oftentimes posting on Facebook, calling out activists that were calling him out for his corruption. Now, Sheriff in Los Angeles, Alex Villanueva, his bid for reelection is not looking so hot. So Wednesday morning, early today, his opponent, Robert Luna, has taken a sizable beat. So this is very exciting if you have any stake in Los Angeles politics, but it goes to show that if you're a corrupt sheriff, you might not last in the United States. So with more than 1.2 million ballots counted, Luna has won 56.78% of the votes to Villanueva's 43.22%. The early returns also showed overwhelming support for measure A, the ballot measure that would give the county's board of supervisors power to fire a sitting sheriff with 70% in favor. We have Villanueva to thank for that, I believe. So we've reported a bunch of disturbing stories about Villanueva and gangs in the LAPD within Los Angeles. So let's get into some of that. 
Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva and other department officials tried to prevent a key witness from testifying before an oversight panel about gang-like groups of deputies. Villanueva has refused to comply with subpoenas ordering them to appear before the commission. Villanueva has said the commission's efforts amount to a fake court hearing and a fake trial designed to hurt his chances at reelection in November. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Ballot measure A would help deal with sheriffs like Villanueva. An unusual ballot measure that would give the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors the power to fire a voter elected sheriff appeared to be passing by a large margin. According to early returns from the registrar's office, measure A had 71% support in the first round of results, which the LA County's registrar office posted online around 10.47 PM last night, Tuesday, November 8th. The release was composed of vote by mail ballots received before election day and some ballots cast at vote centers. If approved by a majority of county voters, measure, measure A would grant power for the first time in the county's history to the Board of Supervisors to remove a publicly elected sheriff from office for cause, which is defined in the measure as violating laws related to a sheriff's performance of duties, flagrant neglect of duties, misappropriation of public funds and other violations. So yeah, this would absolutely affect Alex Villanueva. So meanwhile, this is a, another big win if you're interested in any form of criminal justice reform, especially when it comes to policing. So Kenneth Mejia, who's a, a critical candidate, he's been really, really harping on the amount of money that goes to the police in Los Angeles. He took a really early lead uh, Tuesday evening over three term city council member uh, Paul Koretz in the race for Los Angeles City Controller where they're dealing with the city budget. Mejia getting 61% of the vote, that's a significant margin for a sitting politician to be the person you are running against. So Kenneth Mejia brought attention to the bloated police budget in LA, wants to use resources to help the unhoused population instead. This is a billboard that I took a picture of, I really like it. It demonstrates clearly the priorities in Los Angeles, $3.2 billion to the police, a small portion to housing and a very small portion to youth development. And if you think about crime and public safety comprehensively, you probably agree with Kenneth Mejia here. Now I understand that slogans like defund the police have been very unpopular. But when we unpack what that means, actually investing in things that keep our community safe, instead of giving more money to the police, which we know are led by sheriffs like Villanueva who are terribly corrupt. Many members of the LAPD are in gangs. And when there was a search of the person's home, uh, who was investigating these gangs, that was just a, an incredible demonstration of corruption in LAPD. So someone was investigating the LAPD gangs, they sent their team over there to ransack the house and take all of the papers regarding the investigation. I mean, this is what our tax dollars were going to, stuff like that. So Kenneth Mejia winning, Measure A passing and Villanueva coming out shows that people in Los Angeles are ready to stand up to corrupt policing. Dean, I wanna bring you in. You are also in California here in Southern California in Manhattan Beach, not too far away. What are your thoughts on what's going on here? Well, it's interesting that the measure that you said that 
overwhelmingly, it sounds like it's gonna pass, which allows the Board of Supervisors to remove basically a corrupt sheriff. And that is in a way acting against their own self-interest voters, right? Because they are giving away a little bit of their power by saying, hey, we may vote in this sheriff, but you're allowed to remove him. And that's really interesting. I know the sheriff, you know, Will and Wave said this was a power grab. It gives, and it's true, it does give more power to the Board of Supervisors. I think it's a great check. It doesn't require there to be a recall of the sheriff, if there's something so extreme going on, it's oversight. But it is true that it actually is taking away a little bit of the the voters choice because there's an, a mechanism to remove them that without the voters being involved this is you know LA has got so many different pockets right I mean LA County is huge um, they say I think that the budget is similar to like the state of Michigan or something like that it's massive billions and billions of dollars going to LA County. And there are a lot of different cities, there's a lot of different constituents. And it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with the the new city council person if it sounds like he's gonna be elected. And depending on who gets to be mayor, cuz Rick Caruso and his campaign, one of the two things he campaigned for was hiring more police officers, right? That was like one of his two main things. And we're going to see how does the mayor with his limited power or her limited power, if it's Karen Bass, the city council and the board of supervisors. And they all three have to work together in a way that other big cities don't. The city of New York mayor is actually much more powerful than the LA mayor because of this board of supervisors. And sometimes that's why things don't get done. And that's why sometimes people get so frustrated because the city is not really run by one person for better or for worse. And it'll be interesting to see how they resolve, I think, what people think are really real problems here in LA. Yeah, and it's it's really convoluted too. I was looking into, you know, what parts of the budget does the mayor have the say over? What parts of the budget does the city council have say over? And it seems like the purse strings are mostly in the hands of the board of supervisors with some checks and balances across these three bodies. And the controller has a role as well. And I think Kenneth Mejia has been voted in because he'll bring transparency more than anything else. I think they know that it's a position of limited power, but he's willing to tell people how money is being spent in the city, which is something a lot of people feel like they're not getting. But I really want to point out that a lot of these wins in Los Angeles are because of good organizing. People on the ground every day doing grassroots organizing. Black Lives Matter Los Angeles has been a huge part of criminal justice reform in the city. They were camping out at Jackie Lacey's house, the district attorney, who essentially refused to prosecute any police officers for their crimes committed while on duty. And they got Jackie Lacey to step down after years of dedicated organizing. Not only that, but every Wednesday, so today's one of the days at 4 p.m., they're outside of the police association in Los Angeles. This kind of organizing where they're shutting down the streets, they're camping out at people's houses. This is really what moves the needle. And I am scared that there could be a situation where similar to what's happened in Iowa and Des Moines recently, where someone who is not the kind of corrupt sheriff like Villanueva, someone who's a regular citizen runs for a sheriff's position, someone who is progressive, who wants to shake things up and change everything. Then they get into the office and the board of supervisors decides, they want them out. 
But I'm confident that we'll be okay in LA because of this strong organizing, people willing to stand up to power and make people in power uncomfortable so that we get the kind of results that people want from the government. And that's really what it takes for big progressive change like this. And Kenneth Mahe is one of the people who's right there with the grassroots organizers in Los Angeles. So as much as this is an electoral win, there were years of, of good organizing on the ground every day, not in election seasons that led to us being in this position. Any last thoughts, Dina? Yeah, and I think that that is so often overlooked because um, LA is mostly Democrat, right, usually. And California goes mostly Democrat and we don't really get watched. But I, people are so organized actually, very politically motivated in California and in Southern California. And they get organized in the ways that you mentioned in groups that they are interested in. Yes, in local politics and really around the country. I mean, I know the last Georgia Senate runoff, the most volunteers Georgia had were people from California. California volunteers in elections across the country. I know I did voter protection work in the 2020 election for North Carolina. You know, so Californians don't get noticed because our elections tend to maybe be a little bit easier. But like you say here, that kind of we have a strong grassroots, strong politically motivated citizens that either do it in their local elections and then also do it nationally. Yeah, and as much as there's there's good organizing in the right direction in some states, like the ones you mentioned, where election watching and, and voter volunteering on election day is really needed, uh, there's some organizing in the other direction. So an early incident report from North Carolina tells us that voters trying to cast their ballots were dealing with harassment at the polls and intimidation, which I'll remind you is a crime. So there were 14 incidents of voter intimidation. They were reported across various counties in North Carolina on election day. The chart provided by the North Carolina North Carolina State Election Board shows the various incidents they're investigating right now regarding election interference. In Columbus County, election officials, not voters, were involved in the two incidences. The NCSBE states, the incidents in question involved an observer following one stop workers in their car, photographing or filming the workers. In New Hanover County, the two incidents included electioneer harassing, students walking to class at a one stop site, an observer angrily confronting an election official, curbside voters in Wake say they were photographed while waiting to cast ballots. In Harnett County, there were also reports of voters being videotaped. So the Department of Justice announced that they are monitoring that situation. And these types of actions aren't just wrong. Like I mentioned earlier, they could lead to criminal charges. So let's get into that. State and federal laws forbid intimidation or interference with the right of voter per of a voter to participate in an election, which includes hindering access to the voting place, whether inside or outside the buffer zone. The law also makes it a crime to interfere with election officials carrying out their duties. Penalties for violations include prison time, a fine, or both, according to the NCSBE. What's scary about this is a lot of what they were doing seems to be 
documenting who was at the polls. Maybe they were listening in on conversations, people talking about who they were excited to cast a ballot for. The fact that they were taking photos and filming people who were there suggests that some kind of follow up is coming, that they wanted to remember what this person looked like. They were not just recording, Oh, look who's out to vote today and do their civic duty. It really doesn't have that kind of a vibe. And we know that people were trained up as election volunteers throughout the country with this idea that voter fraud was going to happen. They very clearly don't want to live in a country where people are decided to be elected to represent them in public office based on the popular vote. We know that Republicans are comprehensively voting against expanding voting rights. Voting is very difficult for many people in this country still today. It's a work in progress and Republicans are actively working against that progress and repealing a lot of the progress that we've made, a lot of the legislation that's been passed and actively voting against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So they wanna make it more difficult for people to vote legally but also they're willing to show up and intimidate people who are exercising their hard fought for rights, which is just disgusting. So hopefully they find the people who are doing this. But Dina, I wanna get your thoughts on this because I know you have a background in law and this is a crime. Yes, it's a crime and and it should absolutely be enforced and really to the maximum extent to the rule of the law. because. Taking away somebody's right to vote through intimidation, which is essentially what the law is trying to prevent, is so important. I mean, we've seen people who got by, you know, mistakenly voted when they weren't allowed to vote. I mean, in Arizona, I think somebody was sentenced to like 10 or 20 years for that. So this voter intimidation, I think, should be sentenced to something as high as that because you're basically taking away someone's right to vote. How is that any worse than somebody? You know, voting twice. Both of them are wrong and they should both be prosecuted wrong. And, you know, to. This is why it's so important to volunteer. We talked about how important it is to vote, but to volunteer, the Democratic Party recruits thousands of volunteers to go and be poll watchers. And a lot of them are outside. Observe, trying to observe exactly that. So if somebody is looking like they're intimidating, the voter standing in line doesn't have to be by themselves dealing with the issue, but that volunteer can call law enforcement themselves and have somebody come. And so, you know, the next time there an election comes, you know, reach out, be willing, spend a few hours on one of the voting days showing up at your poll and just kind of see if anything happens. Because unfortunately, we saw a lot more intimidation. We saw a lot more um, kind of like law enforcement show up trying to do that, which sometimes can be intimidating itself. But if we have a lot of volunteers um, who want to actually just have a, a ensure safe voting, that does can combat um, this kind of fringe element who's trying to essentially scare people into not voting. Yeah, and I think it's the kind of thing where, yes, the intimidation is going to impact the people who are directly there at the polls that day. But if it's widespread knowledge that this kind of thing is happening at polling locations, imagine the impact on turnout for people who feel vulnerable, who don't feel safe showing up to the polls, who planned to cast, who planned to cast their ballot on election day. Like the impact is more broad than just the people who were there at that point in time. You're you're making more and more voters afraid to vote, which is already a difficult thing to do in this country as many people are working. It's a complicated process. And so many people are disenfranchised and now it's becoming worse because people are actively working against democracy at this point in time. So we've got to go to a break, we'll see you on the other side.
Welcome back to Indisputable. I've got some food for thought for you, and it's not our next story. It is trivia, because at TYT, we do very fun things like trivia. And so during the Friday bonus episode, you can test how much you remember from the week watching the Young Turks live. If you answer the trivia question correctly, you have a chance of winning a $100 gift card to Blue Apron. So make sure you link your YouTube membership to tyt.com. Find out how to do that and get all of the details at tyt.com slash food. And you can click the join button to become a member on YouTube today. And then you get to participate in very fun things like food for thought trivia, which is exciting. We love our members, so let's go to what they have to say. We have Mickey C the silver haired dragon saying a law enforcement officer in the party of law and order refusing to honor a lawful subpoena. Wonder how I knew he was a right winger. Yeah. <laughs> Some more comments on Villanueva. Villain, it's in the name 100% Tay Payne 89. And then we have Ghost Dog TV. Mejia has the best media game of any Democrat I've ever seen. It's almost like more young people should run for public office. I don't know, I think it's time for us to take over a little bit. Or at least hire young people to run your media strategy because young people understand media. We understand the internet. And there's some more good news out of the midterms. So slavery was on the ballot in 2022. Voters in four states approved ballot measures that will change their state constitutions to prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for crime, while those in a fifth state rejected the move, that was Louisiana. So the measures approved Tuesday curtail the use of prison labor in Alabama, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont. So in Louisiana, a former slave holding state, voters rejected a ballot question known as Amendment 7 that asked whether they supported a constitutional amendment to prohibit the use of involuntary servitude in the criminal justice system. And that measure was voted against with a significant margin of like 60%. Interestingly, Louisiana is a state with a very high lockup quota. So they have these contracts, they have two for-profit prisons. And in the contracts, they agree to a 96% occupancy rate, regardless of what crime rates look like. So that means taxpayers, if there are empty beds in the prisons, will then be paying the companies that are contracting prison labor, which is insane. There's also been a lot of interesting disinformation out of Louisiana, people saying that a no vote on this would just send it back to the legislators and they get to decide on it. So that's an interesting case. But moving on, ahead of election day, State Representative Edmund Jordan, a Democrat from Baton Rouge and author of the amendment reportedly asked voters to reject the measure. So let's get into this. Why did he request this? Because the wording on the ballot differed from his proposal. According to Jordan, the initial goal of the bill was to restrict slavery and involuntary servitude in total with no exceptions. When Jordan presented the amendment, it was considered an amendment in concept. He says by the time the amendment made it to the ballot, there was confusion, confusion with the language. People could interpret the bill to do the opposite of what Jordan proposed. If residents voted yes to the proposed amendment, Jordan says the language in the Louisiana Constitution would remain the same. Jordan said this would not be detrimental, but a no vote would give lawmakers the opportunity to make amendment language clearer and remove ambiguity. So is a no vote a win? 
Jordan clarified the way Louisiana's proposed amendment change reads now. It could leave cases for interpretation in courts. I will tell you after the decision in Roe versus Wade, I certainly didn't want to leave anything to chance, said Jordan. So very interesting case out there in Louisiana. Goes to show how much power the people have who, who write up our ballots. They can manipulate the language so that the vote goes in one way or another. Circling back to some other initiatives, the four approved initiatives won't force immediate changes in the state's prisons, but they may invite legal challenges over the practice of coercing prisoners to work under threat of sanctions or loss of privileges if they refuse the work. So what about the other states? After Tuesday's vote, more than a dozen states still have constitutions that include language permitting slavery and involuntary servitude for prisoners. Several other states have no constitutional language for or against the use of forced prison labor. Voters in Colorado became the first to approve removal of slavery exception language from the state constitution in 2018 followed by Nebraska and Utah two years later. So I wanna talk about what they mean by exception language. Very similar to what's in the Constitution of the United States. The 13th Amendment, which outlaws slavery, says slavery is illegal except as punishment for a crime. So that is what is meant by the exception language. Interestingly, this was voted for in Alabama, where currently prisoners are on strike. So very interesting coming out of Alabama, voters voting in the right direction there. Louisiana is an interesting case, but it's just insane to me that we're at the point where we have to vote on this and in 2022, that we still have slavery in the United States. It is alive and well, it is legally defined as slavery. Prison labor is slavery. I don't think it should be punishment for a crime, but there were voters who showed up to the polls and said, yes, it should be, which is very scary. Dina, what are your thoughts? I think anything dealing with prisons does take a long time for the public to kind of start to understand because of the nature of the how secretive the system is, right? I mean, you're not there, you can't really see what's happening, you don't often hear about what's happening. And so it takes a tremendous effort for people involved in the interests of prisoners to get a message out and heard. And it is it is true. I mean, the problem with the prison system, if you have a private prison system, which we have a lot of private prisons, and they lobby to elect certain judges who are more pro crime or more likely to sentence people longer, then you have more prisoners, and then you have more slave labor. So it's kind of this really disgusting cycle. And I'm glad that a lot of states are voting to remove that really greed can be the root of so many problems, right? And if you have a private company who knows they now have free labor, I mean, that just feeds into the greed of this system. Let's take out the greed. But probably not many people know that this even exists. And so it's great that they're getting this out there and making a change. Yeah, this is something that I think about all of the time. I think we need a similar national ballot initiative for amending the Constitution legally. I know we have to go through Congress and there are many hiccups to doing something like that. But just insane that the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution still permits slavery as punishment for a crime. And some states in very conservative parts of the country are ahead of us nationally on this, which is very sad.
there's a federal police officer who has been arrested for trafficking narcotics. He's a drug dealer, according to the investigation. Let's put up his picture, full mask. Arlington County PD arrested and charged that man, off-duty Pentagon Force Protection Agency police officer, following a narcotics investigation. Keep his picture up. He works for the Pentagon Force Protection Agency Police Department. Eric Welch is his name, 33 years of age, was charged with possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance and possession with intent intent to distribute a controlled substance while armed, while he had his gun on him, okay? He is now being held without bond, could face up to 20 years in prison or more if convicted. The organized crime section initiated a narcotics investigation after receiving information regarding a suspect possibly distributing cocaine in Arlington County. During the course of the investigation, detectives were able to identify Mr. Welch as a suspect and obtain evidence confirming his involvement in narcotics distribution, AKA, he's a dope dealer. He was taken into custody on the afternoon of October 28th after detectives observed him purchase narcotics for distribution. It's called buying weight, okay? So he goes to his weight man, he buys his weight and he was caught. A firearm was recovered at the scene. He is the police. A search warrant was executed at the suspect's residence in Alexandria, which resulted in the recovery of what? What all drug dealers have, more drugs. He had more narcotics at his house um, and also firearms. This is an active investigation. This story is still developing. You have, you have to squint to see this in the news right now, uh, but it's currently happening. Um, here it is, here it is. now. What would make a cop think? You can be the police and the drug dealer. Like you will say, wait a minute, why, why would you even think you can get away with that? What? Wait a minute, police get away with, let's count the ways, um, killing people that are unarmed and killing people that are unarmed. If you can literally get away with murder, why would you not think you could get away with being a narcotics dealer? All right, Trey, thoughts here. I mean, I think there's a lot of Pentagon officials and people around the Pentagon who had a much worse Halloween weekend after this guy got locked up. <laughs> and probably, probably pretty bummed out. Their plug, the plug got caught, but no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But I no, mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with what. <laughs> no, you're not just kidding. I agree with, I agree with what you just said too. I was gonna say, like they, they fully expect to get away with any and everything like this. Like I don't think it crosses their mind that they would not get away with it. You know, they're emboldened to try anything like this, and it's like classic dirty cop stuff. It's like you know, at least he had to go to some, uh, like you said, his white guy to pick some up instead of just like stealing it from the evidence locker or whatever. Right. Like a lot of them do. So I mean, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised at all. More, you know, if it, the only part that's remotely surprising is that they, you know, called him when they did. In my yeah, opinion, but they caught him. They did, according to the investigation. All right, so going international, Brittany Griner.
uh, has been transferred to a Russian penal colony. Her lawyers don't know where she is right now or where she is heading. The move is something that her and her family and her friends have dreaded. They saw this coming. Griner's August conviction on drug smuggling charges could have led in many different directions. And now this is not a great scenario. So the transfer began on Friday, her lawyer said, a day after US embassy officials visited her. And far ahead of the schedule they had anticipated for Griner's appeal was denied October 25th. Typically, her attorneys had said a transfer takes weeks or months. Griner's attorneys and US officials were not aware she had been moved until Tuesday. Griner's family might not know where she is for some time, according to her lawyers. Notification is given via official mail and normally takes up to two weeks to be received. Griner's last contact with anyone from outside the jail was Thursday when US Embassy officials were able to visit her. She saw her attorneys the day before. So Russian penal colonies are known for having far harsher conditions than the Moscow jail where Griner has been since she was detained in February. And if you've been following this story, you know that Brittany Griner's wife described the conditions in the Moscow jail as horrific and that she seemed like she was doing terribly. So now she is in a Russian penal colony, we don't know where, with harsher conditions. So US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, he said Wednesday, in a statement about the transfer, that it's another injustice layered on her ongoing unjust and wrongful detention. He said further, quote, ensuring the health and welfare of US citizen detainees in Russia is a priority and we will continue to press for fair and transparent treatment for them all. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre also issued a statement early Wednesday morning. Her statement read, quote, Every minute that Brittany Griner must endure wrongful detention in Russia is a minute too long. As the administration continues to work tirelessly to secure her release, the president has directed the administration to prevail on her Russian captors to improve her treatment and the conditions she may be forced to endure in a penal colony. Griner's agent, Lindsay Kagwa Collis, said her team remains in close contact with the US government and the Richardson Center, which is a private organization run by Bill Richardson that works to bring detained Americans home. Both the State Department and Richardson, who's a former US ambassador to the United Nations, are using all available resources to determine her whereabouts, ensure her safety and bring her home. US officials have said they made a serious offer to trade for Griner's freedom in June, but have not yet received what they consider to be a legitimate counteroffer, which the White House reiterated in its statement Wednesday, despite what it called additional attempts. Officials have said they hoped Russia would be more inclined to negotiate in good faith once the Tuesday midterm elections were over, knowing that Vladimir Putin's government would not want to give President Joe Biden a potential political victory. So they're playing a game of international politics. And of course, they're very aware of what's going on here in the United States. US officials declared in May that Griner was being wrongfully detained. Even then, they called her trial and political and her appeal attempt political theater. So 
terrible situation. Brittany Griner still being detained is absurd. We know that this is an issue that's really rooted in gender injustice because think about the pay you get in the NBA. We don't have LeBron James going over to play in leagues in Russia because he makes a very high salary. Now, members of the WNBA who are who are playing sports every single day, doing the same amount of training, the same amount of, of games, uh, yeah, they are paid far less. And so they have to go to Russia to participate and play basketball in Russia for additional money to supplement their income because they are not paid enough. So Brittany Griner would never be over there if they were paid pretty much the same. So we have to remember that this is an issue that is rooted in gender injustice. And there are many people in the WNBA who postpartum play great seasons and come back their first game postpartum after having a baby and have a double double game. I mean, you could argue that the WNBA in that situation has a much harder game to play than the men who are paid far more. And it's insane that she accidentally brought in a little bit of weed in a weed pen when she packed her suitcase in a hurry. I mean, this is not like she was intentionally committing grave crimes. This was not a violent crime. Nevertheless, she is currently in a Russian penal colony. Dina? You know, it's a really sad situation because obviously it was connected to Ukraine and what was happening then. Not even so much that she was arrested, but that because she was so high profile, I don't think she would normally have been arrested. Because the fact is, she was coming to play for a Russian team, which would have made her like an invited guest, right? It was like an honor for them to have her come. And for them to then arrest her, obviously they only did it because of the breakdown of the communications. But it is true, I mean, everybody should know, like for as divisive as we are as a country, we do have a fair justice system. I mean, sure, we can make improvements, but you have certain rights. And when you travel to other countries, there's quite a lot of countries in the world that have extreme crimes for bringing in any amount of drugs, and you don't get the kind of justice system that we do here. And it is, you are you are putting yourself at the mercy of whatever government you are traveling to. And we should kind of all be aware of that because this is really unfortunate, but there's actually other Americans who do get caught up in kind of the extreme justice systems in other countries when they travel. Yeah, and thankfully, you know, Brittany Griner's someone that we know because of her status as a WNBA player. But there are a lot of people who make this same mistake traveling to other countries that have stricter laws on certain things, certain things you can bring in that you can have, certain things you can do in the United States that you can't do overseas. And it's difficult when you're crossing borders and those borders represent a new jurisdiction legally. You've got to be very careful, a sad situation. And I wish there was just the kind of political environment internationally where we could collaborate on systems of justice. But unfortunately, we have the United Nations, not that we shouldn't have the United Nations, but the way the United Nations runs is whatever states contribute the most resources and military power tends to have the most say over how things go and disagreements between other countries. and so. It can affect individual people in very intimate ways when we don't have some kind of international democracy. There are very many issues that require nations to collaborate with each other. There are global problems that nations need to work together to address. And there just needs to be better forms of diplomacy and decision making on the international level. And it affects situations exactly like this. 
All right, we've got to wrap today. Thank you so much, Dina, for being on with us. It was great having commentary with you. Tell the people where they can find more of it from you. It was great getting a chance to talk to you about all these things. They can find me on Ask Dina Dahl across all social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Amazing, thank you so much. All right, now we're going over to Senator Nina Turner with Unboss. Thanks for being with us on Indisputable today. We'll see you next time.